this podcast contains information regarding sensitive events, including domestic violence, assault, and abuse, as well as other triggering events, such as murder. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. When Alice jumped down the rabbit hole, she immediately regretted her decision. A rabbit hole is a metaphor for something that transports someone into a troubling, surreal state or situation. Welcome to Afterglow, the unveiling of the Idaho cult, a series. This podcast will take you down the deepest of rabbit holes as it unfolds. This story is so compelling, so bizarre, and so heinous, it's impossible to look the other way. Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow were dedicated in the most horrible way to an ideology that should only be fiction. Instead, their ideology put them behind bars. We begin with breaking news. Lori Vallow, the mother of two missing children with ties to Arizona, just appeared in court in Hawaii. She was arrested yesterday on counts of felony child abandonment, along with other charges. There's still no word on the whereabouts of those children. Join us as we explore the lives, lies, and diabolical crimes of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. I'm your host, Kathy Brooks. Please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For years, I I loved her, just like a sister. Three and four are dead. Five, he's next. Hello, and welcome to Afterglow, the unveiling of the Idaho cult. Season one, episode one, who is Lori Noreen Cox? Part one. You may or may not be familiar with the sorrowful story of J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan. These two children were found murdered in Rexburg, Idaho on June 9th, 2020. You may not know why any of this could have happened to these two beautiful children, but what I can tell you is this goes deep. Deeper than an abusive parent that murders their child out of rage and anger, This goes down the cavern and into the workings of a religious network. This network is a cult. This cult hides in plain sight. A group that has a volatile agenda. A cult with leaders that rate family and friends as dark or light, good or bad, worthy of living or marked for death. These people are preparing for the end of times. They aren't the kind of cult living in a commune or hidden in the hills. This cult lives and walks among us. They attend church on Sundays. They are neighborly. They are friendly. They are immersed into middle-class American small-town communities. Members of this cult were sloppy. And due to their lack of planning, their ill knowledge on technology, and their extreme selfishness, they showed the world their cards. Their cards of lust and greed, followed by murder. Murder of at least four people, attempted murder of another, 
and with a very real possibility of more undiscovered murders. At the time of this podcast recording, Lori Vallow Daybell has been in jail for over a year, and currently they are attempting to restore her to mental competency so that she can stand trial. After you hear all about Lori, her history of tumultuous marriages, five to be exact, you may have some doubts, just like I do, that Lori Noreen Cox Ryan Vallow Daybell is truly mentally incompetent. My opinion that I will expand on later is that Lori has antisocial personality disorder, which can also be referred to as psychopath or sociopath. But there's so much to unpack here when it comes to the murder of Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow, Lori's children. Here's a recording of JJ with his papa. They say that all good things must end. Call it a night. The party's over. You need to go on American Idol. But before we get on with the story, I would like to talk to you a minute about Instacart. We all have had to adapt for the last year and a half to a new normal. Wearing masks, social distancing, just to name a couple of our new accommodations in life. But normal life and normal routines changed. During this time, I started ordering my groceries through Instacart. You can shop all your favorite stores on a single order. The products you love from your local stores, these products can be delivered in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. Instacart will pick the freshest produce and keep your eggs safe too. My 84-year-old mother loves using Instacart. In a recent order, she was able to buy a new microwave and toaster. That's how fabulous Instacart is. They will bring you anything. So you see, it's not just food items. You can help support this podcast by clicking on the link in the show notes below. Plus, you can get free delivery on your first order of $10 or more. Hi, and welcome back to Afterglow, the unveiling of the Idaho cult. We're just getting started on season one, episode one, who is Lori Noreen Cox, part one. Lori Noreen Cox was born on June 26, 1973. Lori was originally from San Bernardino, California. Her mother, Janice, and her father, Barry, were parents of five children, Stacy Cox, who died quite young at age 31. And we will get into that story later. Like I told you, there's so many rabbit holes here. Adam Cox, her brother, Alex Cox, her other brother, Summer Cox. There's also said to have been another child who died as an infant. The Cox family were of the LDS faith, otherwise known as Mormons. They lived in San Bernardino, a community that had its original beginnings as a Mormon settlement under the direction of Brigham Young. San Bernardino in the 70s was vibrant and growing. However, that is no longer true in 2021. It is now one of the poorest cities in the United States. 
In 2011, it was the second most impoverished city in the country, with 34.6% of the people there living in poverty. It was topped only by Detroit, Michigan. The rapid despair seemed to have started with the closure of the Air Force Base. Before that, it could be described as an ideal city to pursue the American dream. It said that a medium-sized city needs a large middle-class presence, and sadly, the middle class have been steering clear of San Bernardino, California. Property values plummeted as people lost their jobs. It was actually rumored that LAPD would give troubled people free bus tickets east, and many wound up at the last stop in that direction, which is San Bernardino. Lori Cox was in the class of 1991, Eisenhower High School in Rialto, California, a community in San Bernardino County. Lori was a quiet, sweet Southern California girl from this devout Mormon family. Lori was a stereotypical high school cheerleader, long blonde hair, long tan, thin legs. Her friend, Bernadette Flores Lopez, told Inside Edition that when she met Lori, Lori Cox was a 10th grade girl trying out for the cheer squad at Eisenhower High School in Rialto. Bernadette said, I just thought she was a Barbie doll. She was a doll. She was just really, really friendly. Not overly friendly, but she was just really sweet. I was just so excited to get to know her. My first impressions of her was, man, I just thought she was just a Barbie doll. She was a doll. She was really sweet. That's why it hurts so much right now. I'm in disbelief, really. In this interview, her friend, Bernadette, says Lori and the other members of the Eisenhower High School cheerleading squad clicked immediately and became very close. She said that Lori was the flyer, which is the girl that the team threw up in the air. She was quiet, but also hilarious, she says. She had us laughing hysterically all the time. Hilarious. She's hilarious. She was never the type of person to come up to anybody and confront them negatively. But man, she had us laughing hysterically all the time. She had us laughing hysterically all the time. She says the squad spent a lot of time at Lori's house, where Lori lived with her father, mother, two brothers, and two sisters. She said, as a cheer squad, we were always at Lori's house. Her mom and dad let us hang out there. We used to swim, Bernadette remembered. Everybody was just so welcoming. They had a big family. The Cox family were very, very devout Mormons, she says. Bernadette said, and Lori would attend religious education classes in the morning before school. She said that takes a lot of dedication in high school to go before school started to seminary. She never spoke about what it meant to be a Mormon or anything. I just know in her house, there was a giant book of the Book of Mormon. That takes a lot of dedication to go in high school and go before school started to seminary. She never spoke about what it meant to be a Mormon. I just know in her house, there was a giant book of the Book of Mormon in her house. I find it very interesting that her high school friend had already noticed how dedicated and how enmeshed she was in her spiritual beliefs. At that time, it was mainstream Mormonism. But later, as you know, it became fringe, crazy insanity. Well, she was a bombshell, in my opinion. She still is. 
but it's weird because it wasn't until our senior year that she even had a boyfriend. She said it was weird because it wasn't until our senior year that she even had a boyfriend. She was pretty much to herself and she hung around just the girls. She said there was hardly ever boys with us, but in senior year, that's when she started kind of like branching out a little bit. Also listening to Lori's friend, I really wonder what it was like to grow up in that Cox household. Was there dysfunction? Was it functional? When did the chaos start that caused Lori to be who she is today? Bernadette says Lori talked about attending Brigham Young University, which is a private university owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I pretty much have been in contact with all my other friends that I had on my cheer squad, except her, and she was just kind of a mystery. Lori graduated high school in 1991. In 1992, she married her first husband. His name is Nelson Yanes. She knew him in high school. But Bernadette says that marriage was short-lived and they did not have any children. Bernadette speculates in the interview that Nelson Yanes was not Mormon, so maybe that had something to do with the fact that their marriage failed quickly. I think she's so brainwashed and so far gone. This person that she's married to is writing books about doomsday and end of the world. And, you know, I know her book, her, her Mormon religion don't teach that. Lori, look. You're not too far gone that prayers can't touch you. She just needs our prayers right now. She isn't, that's what she needs. Regardless, she's, she's not well. She's not well if, this is, if she did something like this. Hi, everyone. This show is produced, edited, and narrated by me, Kathy Brooks. I'm also the creator of the YouTube channel, Left Undone, Incomplete Investigations, where we have followed this particular case since January of 2020. We also have a wonderful community with live streams on YouTube where we talk all things true crime. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support this one woman show, please consider donating to Afterglow, unveiling the Idaho cult. You can donate a few ways and the links are in the show notes. One way is to donate through PayPal at www.paypal.me forward slash K-A-T. F-S-H-H, and again, the link is in the show notes below. You can donate through Cash App, which is cash.app forward slash dollar sign Afterglow Kathy, or at Buy Me a Coffee. And again, the links are all in the show notes below. But that one is www.buymeacoffee.com slash Afterglow. No donation is too small. And I really appreciate the support to help grow this podcast and keep it going. Now back to the episode. Lori's mother, Janice, said in an interview that Lori left home at age 18. They had asked her to wait a year, but she left anyway. She went off and got married, and her family did not go to her wedding. Once Lori was divorced from Nelson Yanes, who has remained very quiet during the past two years while this horrific crime unfolded, 
That's when the drama really seemed to get started for Lori. So many years before the murder of Tylee and JJ, the drama had already began in Lori's life. Lori married husband number two when she was 23 years old. His name was William LaGoya. They were married on October 22, 1995 in Texas. According to county records, Austin, Texas, Travis County. But very soon, all hell seemed to break loose in this marriage. Here is a statement of facts supporting the plaintiff's criminal complaint regarding Lori and William LaGoya. On October 22, 1995, I, Lori Noreen Cox, married William John LaGoya. We had lived together off and on, unmarried in Austin, Texas, for the previous four years. During our on-again, off-again relationship, William LaGoya, my boyfriend at the time, was mentally and physically abusive towards me. On two different occasions, I had to call for the police protection and have him arrested for assault and battery. We were separated in February of 1996 due to this abuse. He went to jail in Austin, Texas. I was pregnant during the last physical assault and battery when he threatened to snap my neck and kill the baby if I ever called the police again to have him arrested. Alone and on my own, I continued to work and take full responsibility for all my expenses. During our on-again, off-again relationship prior to our marriage, I worked and earned all of the household money, paid all of the bills for rent, my car, food, and essentials. William LaGoya did not contribute any financial support. I gave birth to my baby on April 8, 1996. In July of 1996, my husband, William LaGoya, called me and asked me to come to Brackettville, Texas, where he was living with his parents, to attend his family's baptism into my church. During our relationship, I prayed that he would accept my religion, repent of his carnal, selfish, and sensual behavior, and become a Christian. He told me that the separation had caused him to think things over and that he had been studying with the missionaries and wanted to change his life. July 16, 1995, charges were filed against William LaGoya for assault with injury. Lori claimed that William, her husband, William LaGoya, assaulted her by striking her about the mouth with his hand and throwing her onto the bed causing pain and injury. It was documented that there was an injury to Lori Cox. Her upper lip did have a small cut inside her mouth. Seven months later, on February 13, 1996, Lori filed a restraining order against her husband, William. She stated that he had made several threats against her life, had been physically and mentally abused for three years, and she did claim on the day prior to requesting the restraining order was the day where she had said that he had threatened her if she were ever to call the police again and he would snap her neck. And so it goes on that William is the defendant and there's documentation from county court records 
where Lori had filled this out. And it says, I have good reason to believe and do believe that William John LaGoya on or about the 11th day of February, 1996, did commit the offense of assault with injury. My belief of the foregoing statement is based upon and provided by me, Lori Noreen Cox, who personally observed such offense. Then on the above date, an incident was reported to Austin Police Department by Lori Noreen Cox, who was the victim, to an assault which occurred following address. That is the defendant and the victim's residence in Austin, Travis County, Texas. The victim reported to police that on the above date, approximately 3.45 p.m., an assault was committed against her on those premises by William John LaGoya. Describe events immediately prior to the assault. Subjects were arguing. The victim was hit and pushed. And then there's a check mark in about the head with the following instrument, the hand. The injury sustained the victim is described as pain or other, both marked and Red right eye is described as the injury. William John LaCoya has made several threats against my life. This is where she goes into the description. William has been physically and mentally abusing me for three years. On February 12th, 1996, William threatened that if I were to call the force again, since I have reported this before, then he would snap my neck. William has stated in several occasions that he would kill me or our unborn child and any police that tried to arrest him if I were to call the police. William has beat me up, hitting and pushing me and holding the phone away from me so that I would not call 911. William threatened that if he did go to jail, that when he got out, no matter how long it is, I will find you and kill you. I will never go back to jail alive. I will kill anyone that comes in here to take me to jail. Signed by Lori N. Cox. Then a few months later, April 8th, 1996, Lori had her baby, Colby. Colby was born in Austin, Texas. There is no father listed on the Texas Department of Health uh, vital Statistics Birth Records. You can see a copy of it. I found a copy of it on Ancestry, and it shows Lori naming him Colby, her last name Cox, and no father listed whatsoever. Lori did claim that William wasn't around when Colby was born, and that he had been living with his parents in Brackettville, Texas. Colby was named Colby Jordan Cox. Now, at the time that they filed for divorce, Colby was eight months old. Remember, there's no father listed on Colby's birth record, and his last name was Cox, even though Lori and William were married at the time that Colby was born. On December 4th, 1996, a complaint was filed by Lori against William for auto theft, larceny, false imprisonment, conspiracy with intent to defraud creditor, perjury, concealment of stolen property, and obstruction of justice. Apparently, William was not LDS, and this was an issue for Lori. 
Clearly, she tried to convert him. At some point, Lori was a hairdresser. So I'm assuming the job she's speaking of in these documents that she was making $45,000 a year is her hairdressing job. Because in her court documents, she states, during our relationship, I prayed that he would accept my religion, repent of his carnal, selfish, and sensual behaviors, and become a Christian. I was very naive because later I found out that William deceived me and lied about his change of heart. She goes on to accuse him of living with another woman. She actually says he was actually living with another woman in Austin and using her car and sleeping with her and letting her pay all the bills. His modus operandi of womanizing to get gain. He knowingly and intentionally conspired to defraud me into quitting my job where I earned $45,000 annually to come and live with him and his parents in Brecketville where he would work and take care of us, pay the car payment and the household bills. She says he took advantage of my good faith, my charity and my vulnerable situation. When I moved in with him again, he immediately resumed his old ways and he took the keys to my car against my will and he hid my spare key so that I could not get access to it. He did not allow me to use my own car. But the story gets even more dramatic and crazy. She states he kept me imprisoned at his residence. In early November, while William was passed out drunk after a one-night stand with a new girlfriend, I escaped and left at 4 a.m. with my child. Then at this point, she says that she drove to her parents, Barry and Janice Cox, home where they were now living in San Antonio, Texas. She said William called her every day for two weeks, begging for her to come back to Brackettville and that they need to go to church and work things out. Lori's quote was foolishly and in good faith and because I was desperate for help I was taken in by his sincere efforts to turn a leaf and change his ways so I went back to Brecketville to give him one more chance to salvage his marriage and show me the evidence of his changed heart she goes on to say after my return I expressed my unhappiness living in the house with William and his parents Lori then accuses William's stepfather, who she refers to as her father-in-law, of becoming violent and making verbal threats towards her. He said she could leave, but could not take her baby, Colby. Lori says William also used my baby's welfare card, her food stamps card, for his own personal expenses. She said, I felt threatened and imprisoned again. In Lori's words, again, she says, I must be a slow learner because I finally realized William was a liar. He has no respect for God, for truth, or the law. He and his stepfather have a core of beliefs and their own rules of life that are antisocial and despicable. They have no consciousness of guilt or wrongdoing. They believe they can lie and cheat and conspire to do evil or break the law and get gain without any consequences. Their behavior towards me is unconscionable. My personal credit is now damaged, and my car has been repossessed by the loan company for delinquent payments. 
She claimed her father-in-law was out of control and that he and William tried to defraud the finance company and blame her for the disappearance of her own car. William never paid one penny towards the car and support for me and my baby during the entire relationship, Lori goes on to say in this document. Court records show actually that a paternity test was part of the proceedings in their divorce. William had filed a response to the court about Colby being born during the marriage and that it was possible that he was not Colby's biological father. He requested the court to order paternity tests. Lori goes on again and she says he is void of consciousness, of right or wrong, and lacks any virtue of good character. His lifestyle is similar to a pathological liar and sociopath. He is unemployed and unskilled and has no marketable skills. He lacks integrity and or any desire to accomplish or live a worthwhile or productive life. My family has been patient and kind to him and have offered him help and made gifts to him to see if he could get the message and example of human kindness. However, William is void of any light and intelligence to know the difference between right and wrong. Then on December 17, 1996, Lori files an affidavit of inability stating she is unable to pay any court costs. She testifies that she is unemployed, has no ownership of property, no credit cards, no credit, $5,000 in debt, and that her spouse is unemployed. Monthly income consists of $292 in food stamps and $198 a month for aid for families with dependent children. That's all she has in cash for living expenses from the government. Welfare Department of Human Services. And the reason she was eligible was because she was unemployed and has a child under the age of 18. Divorce wasn't finalized until February 25th, 1998, between Lori and William. Lori remained unmarried between 1998 and 2001. Next time, we will go on to Lori's next marriage. The marriage with Joseph Ryan. Your contestants for Mrs. Texas, 2004. And contestant number four, Lori Ryan. She's Mrs. Hayes County. Her husband's name is Joseph. They've been married for three and a half years, and they have two children. Who you are? What makes you tick? Being a good mom is very important to me, and a good wife, and a good worker, and being all those things together is not easy. So I'm basically a ticking time bomb. <laughs> so I'm basically a ticking time bomb. <laughs> so I'm basically a ticking time bomb. <laughs> next time, we will go on to Lori's next marriage, the marriage with Joseph Ryan, who, if you might not have guessed it, had an untimely, suspicious death after their divorce. But we'll get into that rabbit hole on the next episode. See you next week. Join me weekly as we dig down every rabbit hole possible here on Afterglow, the unveiling of the Idaho cult. I'm your host, Kathy Brooks. 
Next time, we will dig into Lori's relationship and untimely death of her third husband, Joe Ryan. We are truly just getting started. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, stay well. Theme music, Not Forgotten by Dan Lebowitz. Produced, edited, and narrated by me, Kathy Brooks. Thank you for being here. Have you been considering starting your own podcast? I use Buzzsprout, and it is a wonderful platform. It's easy, it's professional. They will get your podcast into every major podcast platform Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google, and more. You can start today with the gear that you already have in a quiet space. I'm in my closet, it works well for the acoustics. You'll get a great looking podcast website, you'll get audio players that you can drop into other websites detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. I'm very happy with Buzzsprout, and I know you will be too. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you. It also gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And it helps support our show here at Afterglow unveiling the Idaho cult. Special thank you to my sources, wickedtruthandfbombs.com, Inside Edition, and KSLT.